0: Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com.
1: And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, and they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel. And they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning. Good
0: morning. Get organized here. How are we doing? Good. You go. Beautiful day outside. Thank you for... Uh, choosing to come here when you could be out hiking or whatever you might be doing. This is the place to be because the Lord is in this place. And, um, and I, I believe he's going to teach us this morning. We have a ton to learn from this passage. Um, I've been very, very personally challenged by it this week, very helped by it and encouraged this week by this passage. Um, and so I am very excited to preach it. Um, if you have a Bible with you or the Bible app, go ahead and open up to this passage in Matthew chapter 27 that we're going to be digging in together. Um, if you've got a notebook and a pen, get that thing ready. Uh, this is going to be one of those note-taking kind of sermons if you're one of those note-takers. Um, and as you're doing that, let me go ahead and pray for us once again. Father, uh, we, we give you thanks for this day and thanks for this opportunity to come Uh, together, to gather together, to lift up the name of Jesus, to worship you, to open up your word and to study it, to hear from you, from your very mouth, Lord. We believe this word is uh, true, it is authoritative and infallible. You said that it is God-breathed and that it is profitable for our equipping. And so, Lord, would you equip us today to live lives that please you, that look like um, Christ. And Lord, would you be with me and be in my mouth and give me the words to say and give us ears to hear what you have to say. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So maybe uh, you are familiar with the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. In that book, um, Edmund gets tempted by, uh, this, by this evil witch queen, and she tempts him with Turkish delight, and um, she makes this stuff with her magic. It isn't real. There's no substance to it, but it tastes good, and um, Edmund only plans on having a little, just a taste, but when he tastes it, it makes him want more, and it, the more that he eats, the more he wants, and it never does any good to fill his stomach. And um, it sort of cast this spell on on Edmund. And eventually, this thing that began as just a little craving for a taste becomes an overwhelming, life-controlling desire. And he's willing to hurt anybody, including people that he loves, to get that Turkish delight. And interestingly... He is the one who ends up imprisoned by the witch queen um, because of his insatiable desire for Turkish delight. And that's a picture C.S. Lewis painted uh, to show us what sin is like. Sin is like that, right? Sin, it will take us further than we planned on going. It will... Keep us longer than we planned on being there and it will cost us more than we dreamed that it would cost us. Um, When we read the story of Judas, we see a very clear picture of this, don't we? Someone who you can see the regret, the remorse. uh, you, You can see that this is someone who went down the path of sin, and never realized how far it would go until he found himself where he found himself, a betrayer to an innocent man, not just an innocent man, but the Lord Jesus. Um, This wasn't the very beginning of his path into sin. We find out in John's Gospel, in John 12, 6, that he would help himself to... The money bag, to the to the money that the disciples had. He was the treasurer, and he just would take some whenever he wanted it, without telling anyone. So he had um, a love for money, which the Bible says is the root of all kinds of evil. And it was that love of money that ultimately led him down the road that he that we find him in in this passage. Um, Eventually, it seems that Judas came up with an idea to get out of the ministry, to walk away with a little nest egg, a little something to to get a fresh start in life. He knew the religious leaders hated Jesus. would do anything to get rid of him. He knew they were trying to arrest him and kill him. So he comes up with this plan He'll make a little money off of their greed. And he probably figured he's going to be arrested at some point anyway. Why not make a few bucks? Um, he also probably thought that Jesus wouldn't be convicted of anything. Matthew Henry, famous commentator, uh, postulates this. He says, Judas, it is probable expected that either Christ would have made his escape out of their hands, something he had done before, or he would have pleaded his own cause at their bar as to come off, which Judas had seen happen so many times where Jesus outsmarts them, right? When they try to corner him. And then Christ would have had the honor, the Jews, the shame, and he the money and no harm And yet, he finds himself watching this trial take place, seeing that Jesus isn't escaping their hands, that he isn't arguing his case, and that he is being condemned to death. The sin took him further than he ever intended to go. So, how did we get to this point in the story? I want to lay a little context. Um, Back in Matthew 26, a lot happened. We saw that Jesus was anointed with this expensive oil, and Judas hated that um, because he saw money that he could have had, right? If that had been a donation. But he's, he's anointed with expensive oil, and it's after that that he goes to the chief priests and offers to give Jesus over to them for a sum of money. They agree to pay him 30 pieces of silver, which isn't a whole lot, but it's enough to buy some land. Then Judas meets back up with everyone for Passover, and they have the the Passover meal together. Jesus, in that, he says in verse 21, one of y'all is going to betray me. And everyone's like, is it me? And Jesus says... This is all going to happen according to the scriptures. And then Judas says, is it me? And Jesus, is, um, Jesus says, it, you've said so. And Jesus also says in that little uh, section of scripture, woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been better for that man if he'd never been born. I think it's probably those words that Judas heard in his head when he saw that Jesus was going to be Condemned. Um, people have asked this question many, many times. Was Judas uh, a believer who just, who just fell into sin at the end of his life, but he was actually a believer? Um, and, and I think the answer from the scriptures is clear that he was not a believer. Jesus prays in John 17. He's praying to the Father, the high priestly prayer. And in in verse 12, he says, While I was with them, with the disciples, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of them is lost. So there Jesus is making it really clear that Judas is lost, not kept by Jesus, not guarded by, by Jesus, that he's a son of destruction, that his end is destruction, spiritually speaking. <clears throat> so what does this have to do with Christians? What, if you're here today and you're a believer, what does Judas' story have to do with us? Well, I think it has a lot to do with us. If we, if we look at Judas's, um at his grief, at his sorrow, at his his turning back and regretting what he'd done. He goes to the chief priest. He returns the money. They won't take it. He throws it at him. He makes a confession. I've sinned. I've betrayed an innocent man. If we look at that, what we can see is what looks like repentance, but isn't. Right? Y'all see that? And I think if we honestly look at our own lives as Christians, we will see times where we get caught in a pattern of sin and what we think is repentance, but it isn't. It's a a false repentance. And, And I think that this can happen for believers, and we can get caught in a besetting sin, as some have called it, or a pattern, a habitual sinning behavior, because we, are, we think we're fooled by our false repentance. And we need to be able to discern that false repentance, understand what real repentance looks like, so that we can pursue real repentance. Make sense? So I think there's something very, very helpful to us here as believers. Um, what we're going to see, this is kind of the, the overview, is that true repentance will lead to times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. That's Acts uh, 3, 19 and 20. And, and as we'll learn today, true repentance is Godward, hopeful, thorough, and ongoing. If you're a note taker, you'll see that on the screen, so don't, don't worry. That's what real repentance looks like, Okay. And Judas's repentance was just the opposite of those things. Um, we read the last verse of Matthew 26 before we went into this. And the reason was to put it into context that this happens right after Peter's denial of Jesus three times. But what we know, because we've read the rest of the story, is that Peter repents, believes, and is restored, Right? And then lives a life of fruitful ministry following his failure. And then Judas repents, sort of, kind of, right? Despairs, and is destroyed. And so, what, what I believe Matthew is wanting us to do by putting these two stories back to back like that: Peter's failure, Judas's failure, is to show us something, to teach us something. This is intentional is to show us that you can fall away from Christ and experience true repentance and restoration, or you can fall away and never truly repent. Repentance is a major theme of all of Christ's preaching and teaching. Matthew four seventeen, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's Matthew's way of summarizing all of Jesus' preaching and teaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance is the right response to God's good news. To repent, it's metaneo in the Greek. It literally means to change your mind, to, to change the way you think. But what it, what it looks like is turning away from sin toward God. It's a change of mind that results in turning away from sin toward God. Jesus said, I have uh, not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke 5, 32. Luke 13, 3. No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Repentance is what... True and genuine faith looks like worked out. When you have true and genuine faith, and it, and it is real, and it is in your life, it, 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 it looks like repentance. It looks like turning away from sin to God. Martin Luther famously said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed that the whole life of believers should be one of repentance. Repentance. Repentance isn't something you just do one time. I repented when I came to Christ. It's a daily experience, a weekly experience. You are, you are called to live this your whole life. And so I, I hope I'm setting this up to where you say, okay, okay, I get it. I want to hear how to discern between true repentance and false repentance. That's what the goal of this message is. We want to understand the difference. Um, okay, so let's... Let's jump into my my observations from from this passage. So the first observation, I've got four marks of uh, false repentance that leads to death and then four marks of true repentance that leads to life. And so that's how this is going to be organized. So the first mark of false repentance that we can see from Judas... Is that false repentance turns inward? It turns inward. Now, in Matthew 27, 4 through 5, you'll notice that Judas says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. Notice what Judas does once once he leaves there. He goes to be alone. Now, think about what he should have done. He he should have gone to the disciples, right? Right? He should have gone to them. Or maybe he should have gone to try to find Jesus and, and yell out to him and, and, and apologize to his Lord. But, but what does he do? He departs to be by himself. That word where it says he departed, uh, it, in the Greek, it, it literally means he withdrew to himself. He withdrew to himself. He he wanted to be all alone by himself. And the most telling sign of of false repentance is that it doesn't turn away from sin to God. You see? It it turns away from sin in in a way, right? He's so sorry he did it, he feels grieved, but he doesn't turn to God with his grief. He withdraws to himself. He turns inward. Instead of crying out to God, instead of going to God for mercy, he looks inside for mercy and he finds none. The Lord speaks of the same issue in Hosea. Look look at this passage with me Hosea 7. The Lord, speaking of the Israelites, he says, Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction to them. That's what happens when we stray from God. For they have rebelled against me. I would redeem him. God would. He would restore. He would redeem. But they speak lies against me. They do not cry to me from the heart. But they wail upon their beds. They return, but not upward. And that's what false repentance looks like. There's a change that takes place. There's a grief that happens. There's a sorrow involved. There's regret. But it doesn't lead your heart to God. There's wailing. You you may cry, and Judas cried, I'm sure. He says, you, they wail upon their beds, but they don't cry to me. They, they return, but it's not to me. And that is the first mark of false repentance. But true repentance turns upward. True repentance turns upward. Um, 2 Corinthians 7.10. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 7.10. This is a great passage about what real godly sorrow looks like and how it produces repentance. He says godly grief or godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. There's there's godly grief that, that leads you to a genuine repentance, a genuine salvation, and then there's worldly grief that leads to death. So what's the difference? Godly grief is being sorry for your sin primarily because of the offense that it is against God. That's the difference. It's a sorrow or a grief over sin because of the offense it is against God, whereas worldly grief is you're, you're sorry for your sin, but it's for another reason. It'll be because you were caught, you're embarrassed, you're sick of the the cycle, you're sick of failing, you feel bad about yourself, whatever. But godly grief leads us back to God where, where we can say with David, against you and you alone have I sinned. And that's the core of the sorrow. That's the core of the grief. So true repentance brings us back to intimacy with Jesus. Not just a renewal of spiritual not just a renewal of a commitment to spiritual disciplines. I, I have fallen into this so many times where my repentance looks like, I, and, I, and I, I confuse coming back to God with coming back to the spiritual disciplines. And I think spiritual disciplines are a vital part of a relationship with God. But it is, I think, possible to return to a disciplined life Without coming back to God Himself, this is what I think is part of what Jesus is telling us when He says in John five thirty nine through forty, "You search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, and it's they that bear witness about Me. Yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have life." So in the the aftermath of our sin, we can search the scriptures and and there can be this like desire to self-atone. Anybody else ever been there? Am I the only one? It's like, okay, Lord, I've sinned. My prayer life is going to impress you now. My, My time in the Word is going to be something. Right? But... It's not coming back to Jesus. It's not coming to His feet. It's not coming to Him that we may have life. So, so symptoms of this false repentance that turns inward. Just so that you can uh, maybe identify it. False re- repentance that turns inward. You'll, you'll have a conversation w- with yourself about how bad your sin is, but not with God. Who are you having a conversation with? Because when, it, when there's true repentance that turns upward, we will talk to God about our sin. We'll confess to Him. We'll air it out to Him, right? So, so that, that's something to look for. False repentance that turns inward is grieved about your sin for other reasons. You are caught, you don't like the cycle, you don't like the shame, you feel bad about yourself. But true repentance that turns upward is grieved about sin first and foremost because it offends Jesus. You love Him. You want to please Him. False repentance that turns inward asks the question, what can I do about this? How can I make this better? How can I make up for this? How can I change myself? But, but True repentance that turns upward asks the questions, what can God do about this? How has God atoned for this? How does He want to transform me? So, false repentance that turns inward because it's inward, because you're looking to the wrong source it leads ultimately to despair, whereas true repentance that turns upward, it leads to hope, because you're turning to the one who can actually do something about it. And that, that brings us to the next um, the next mark, okay? so so. The mark of a false repentance, marks of false repentance, it turns inward. It's fueled by despair. That turn inward leads you to despair. And, and that, that despair fuels you. And we see this in Judas, do we not? That's why he, he, he ends his life. He's, he's given in to despair. He, he cannot see light at the end of the tunnel. There's no hope for him. That's what despair is. It's a hopelessness. We see this in his desperation to get rid of that blood money, right? They won't take it, so he just throws it. It's an act of desperation, right? And despair, watch out for despair. Despair never, ever leads to true repentance. There are two ways that I think despair can play out in our lives. There's, there's despair that turns to self-hatred and self-destruction, and that's what we see with Judas, right? That's, self, that's, that's one way that despair looks. It's, it's self-hatred, it's self-destruction, it can look like suicide. Or that, that self-hatred and self-destruction could look like gambling, or drinking, or drug abuse, or just throwing yourself into some addiction, or sin, or, or whatever, right? But it can also look like fatalism. There's another way that this despair can play out. It can look like fatalism that that shrugs its shoulders and says, you know, I confess this, but there's no actual belief inside me that I'm going to get free from this sin. I just might, I have to just accept it. This is just going to be part of my life from now on. That is despair. That will never lead to true repentance. And I've fallen for this. I, I, have the, I, I see these things in this text because I'm guilty. <laughs> because I've done this so many times. So we've got to watch out for despair. If you see despair over your sin creeping in, take note. Say, no, that will not ever lead to life. So what is true repentance fueled by? It's fueled by hope. True repentance is fueled by hope. We see this all through the scriptures. It's so prevalent in the Psalms. David, over and over again, he writes Psalms that show us this, what this looks like. Psalm 43, 5 is one example. Why are you cast down, O my soul? He's preaching to himself. He's he's, he's fighting against the temptation to despair. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We're not called to give in to despair. We're not called to to just let it run rampant in our lives, we're called to preach to ourselves, like David did. We say, we we turn back to our soul, and our souls saying stuff to us that, and we we turn back and we say, no. Hope in God, O oh my soul. I will again praise Him. Hope, is what produces genuine repentance. Romans two four says that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. His kindness. When we meditate on God's kindness, primarily seen at the cross of Jesus Christ, where He made atonement for our sins, where He made provision for our need, it's meant to lead us to have hope. That He loves me. He wants me free of my sin. Even this sin that plagues me. Again, Matthew Henry has some great insight from this passage. He says, Let us think as bad as we can of sin provided we do not think it unpardonable. Let us despair of help in ourselves but not of help in God. Let us watch against the beginnings of melancholy and pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Judas had a sight and sense of sin, but no apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. So he pined away in his iniquity. Listen to this. His sin... We may suppose was not in its own nature unpardonable, there were some of those saved that had been Christ's betrayers and murderers, but he concluded that his iniquity was greater than could be forgiven. And some have said that Judas sinned more in despairing of the mercy of God than in betraying his master's blood." When we give way to despair because of our sin, we lead our hearts into greater sin and unbelief. So when we sin, when you sin, Christian, turn upward and hope. Look at the kindness of God for you in Christ on the cross hanging there for you and hope and do not give way to one ounce of despair because your hope is in God. When we look at the cross what do we see? We see a God who is eager to forgive sin and to set free from sin. When we look at Christ hanging on the cross, we see a sacrifice that is enough for our failures, for all of them. When we look at Jesus hanging there, taking the wrath of God, we see the once for all time sacrifice. There will never need to to be another. When Jesus said it's finished, he meant this is sufficient for all the sins for all time. So when we sin, we need to hope through the gospel, through the cross, that God has atonement for us and he wants us to be free. Symptoms, then, of false repentance that are fueled by despair. Panic. Watch out for panic. that turns to self-hatred, self-talk and self-hatred. Because when when that happens, the accuser's going to jump in and it's going to be you and Satan both accusing you to try and lead you to despair. True repentance that's fueled by hope is characterized by peace because of the gospel that turns not to self-talk, but to praise and to prayer. False repentance that's fueled by despair is, is... characterized by increasing spiritual weakness. Like David talks about this. When he wasn't repenting, the, hand, the heavy hand of God was upon him, draining him, zapping him of his strength as a discipline so that he would wake up and repent. But true repentance that's fueled by hope leads to increasing spiritual strength from the Lord as He restores you because times of refreshing come. When we repent, when, you, when you're being led into despair, your situation feels more and more helpless when you're being fueled, when your repentance is fueled by hope, your situation feels more and more hopeful. And ultimately, this false repentance that's fueled by despair, it leads to, it, it results in a dead end, a stalemate. But true repentance that's fueled by hope results in a plan for your obedience. If your repentance is true, then it should lead to a plan for your obedience, right? There's a way in which God now wants me to walk differently than the way that I was. And what will that look like? And now I need to think through a plan for my obedience. So, next mark of false repentance is um, it's only partial. False repentance is only partial. Remember what Judas' confession in verse 4, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And that was right. It was true. But it wasn't the whole story, was it? He regretted... Betraying innocent blood. But what was underneath his betrayal is the love of money. Right? That's what he needed to... He needed to, go, he needed to dig deeper. He only repented part of the way. He repented of the betrayal, but not the root of it, which was the love of money. Um, so false repentance, it fails to see the holistic way in which we turn from God. And I, I talk about this a lot because this is something the Lord's been teaching me about. When, when we find, I'm not talking about, you know, a fleshly response that pops up out of nowhere and, and, and you quickly repent of that. But I'm talking about when you find yourself entrapped in sin. You're, you, what you need to recognize is that there's been a whole turning away from God. And so there needs to be a whole turning back with your whole being. Um, And that's what true repentance is is going to look like. It's going to be thorough. It's it's combing through your life and saying where, Lord, are the areas of sin that I need to bring to you so that you can help me to deal with them. Joel 2.12 says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. This is what real repentance looks like. It's with the whole heart. Deuteronomy 4, 29 says, But from your exile you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and all your soul. That's what real repentance will look like. It will be thorough. It will will include your whole heart and your whole soul. A few years back, some friends of ours started getting sick. They they would be sick, their kids would be sick, they'd get a little bit, they'd get well for a minute, and then they'd be sick again. And and they discovered that there was some black mold in their house. And so they started out with, uh, you know, some spot cleaning where they found it, and then they got sick again, kept getting sick. And so then they tried uh, air purifiers. They brought in air purifiers, and, and they, they tried that. It worked a little bit, but then the next thing they know, they're all getting sick again, and they just, one person after another, sick all the time. But finally, they discovered that it was in their air ducts, in their air conditioning system. And there was no way to clean it out. They had to completely um, replace their, their air conditioning system. They were better for a little while. Next thing they know, they're getting sick again. Finally, they they discovered that the shower, their main shower in the house had a leak. And that leak was causing water to get underneath the tile and and into the subfloor and into the walls. And they had black mold all all in the walls and subfloor of their house. And finally after replacing all the bathroom, tearing out sheetrock, tearing out tile, redoing it all, finally they got rid of the black mold and they, and they were well. It wasn't until they got down to the source of the problem that they were able to be free from that sickness. And, and that's what... Real repentance is, is it's thorough. It's, I've got to dig and dig until I can find the source of this. What's caught, I, you know, because until I get to the source, I'm just putting a band-aid on it, right? And now, you might be wondering, does that mean that real repentance is perfect? No. It's never perfect. Not, 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 at least not until we're done with the, these bodies. Sin is going to still be in your body. It's not perfect, but it is progressive, right? It, it is moving toward maturity in Christ. It is moving toward godliness. So it may, it's, it's not perfect. It's not like you can say, well, you know, I, I, I was struggling with anger so much and I, it still comes up every now and then, so I must not have repented. That's, that's not what I'm saying. And I don't think that's what the Scriptures would say. But there is progress. If it's real repentance, it's, there, it's moving you toward Christ's likeness, even if incrementally. So, symptoms of false repentance that's, that's only partial is that we fail to see the underlying cause or the root of our sinful behavior. But true repentance that's thorough, um, God reveals to us the root issue beneath our sinful behavior. False repentance that's only partial, it leads to these desperate Hail Mary attempts at solving the issue. But true repentance that's thorough, God gives you confident steps of obedience to walk out. False repentance, it's only partial um, when you know you, you try to isolate that one sin and, and so your repentance doesn't affect the whole of your life. But true repentance, it, it affects the whole of your life because your whole being is turning back to God. All right, last ones. Last ones. False repentance um, gives up. This is the final mark of false repentance, is it, it gives up. At the end of, of this story, at the sad ending of, of Judas's life, he quits. He takes his own life. He gives up. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't think that that's the thing that we look to, the point to that says Judas was an unbeliever. We look to the fact that Jesus calls him a son of destruction, that Jesus says, I didn't I didn't keep him to the end. I didn't keep him. But a repentance that gives up isn't true repentance. True repentance will keep fighting. 1 John uh, 2, 19, we read this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, one of the Christians they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So false repentance does not persevere. False repentance quits, gives up. Christians will fall. But what marks a Christian is that they keep fighting. right? That they get up After failure. Proverbs 24, 16 says, The righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. What's the race? I have kept the faith. At the end of his life, he looked back and he said, it wasn't perfect. I stumbled, I fell, but I kept fighting. I got to the end of the race and I still have my faith. And remember what, maybe you remember this, when Jesus tells Peter that Satan demanded to have him, to sift him like wheat, what does he say? He says, but I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. At the end of this, Peter, you're, you are going to fail. You are going to fall flat on your face, but your faith will not fail in the end. And he says, and when you've turned again, when you've turned back in repentance, strengthen your brothers. Real repentance keeps fighting. It's not perfect, but it keeps fighting fighting so false repentance that gives up turns inward leads to despair it's partial obedience and it gives up in the end but true repentance that keeps fighting it finishes the race it looks upward to god it's fueled by hope it works to to be a complete and thorough repentance And it's ongoing. It doesn't give up the fight. Let me wrap this up. When we consider the fact that both Peter and Judas fell the same night, but Peter was restored, Judas was destroyed, what's ultimately behind all of this is not that Peter was smarter, better, What's ultimately behind the fact that Peter persevered is that that verse that we read in John 17 earlier. Jesus said to the Father, I have kept them. Or when Jesus said to Peter, but I have prayed for you. And scripture tells us that every single one of God's children, that Jesus intercedes on our behalf. He intercedes. And so when we fail, when we fall, what? will ultimately keep us? What will ultimately be the reason when we, when we work through genuine repentance and get to the end of our lives and say, I fought the fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith, and we look back, what we will see is that it wasn't because of our faithfulness, actually, that all along, Jesus Himself was interceding for us, that Jesus Himself was keeping us to be able to present us blameless before the throne because all glory will be to him not to us at the end of it all Peter repented and believed and restored because Jesus kept him so when you find yourself drifting away from the Lord, or caught and entangled in sin, do not despair, but look to Christ who will keep you. And if you'll do that, He will give you the strength that you need to endure. Because at the end of the day, the battle belongs to the Lord. Lord, if we were left to ourselves, we would never make it. We would be hopeless. We would have reason to despair. If we were left to ourselves, we would be destroyed. But thanks be to God that we are not you have prayed for us that you have guarded us and you will guard us, that you have kept us and you will keep us, that the work that you have started, you will carry on to completion. Help us, Lord, to fight, because even though you keep us and even though you guard us and even though you pray for us, there is still a fight. There is still a race, so help us to keep fighting, to keep running the race set before us with our eyes fixed on you, the one who started our faith, and will see it to completion. We praise you for that, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.